Welcome to Christ the King on this Easter morning. Recently, I've been reading a book by Patrick Lencioni entitled The Advantage. It's a book on organizational health and leadership, sort of under that category of things they didn't teach you in seminary. And uh, one of his observations is that one of the most important responsibilities of any leader of any organization is that of chief reminder. Simply put, it's the responsibility of a CEO or whoever that leader is to constantly remind the people in their organization of the values that they hold, of the reason for their existence, a chief reminder. And surprisingly, at least according to his observations, very few people do this. Very few people in leadership take this role of reminding very, very seriously, perhaps uh, out of fear of being condescending. Uh, we don't want to be repetitive. Uh, perhaps out of fear of being redundant. But his observation, and I tend to agree with him, is that we all need to be reminded. And even if those things are so very basic, especially if those things are very, very basic, still we need the constant reminder of these very basic things. Every child needs the basic reminder. Mom, dad loves them. We all need to be reminded. And the more foundational, the more important it is for us to be constantly reminded. So this morning, with that in mind, I simply want to remind you that Easter is really, really important. Now, that may sound like a, a fairly obvious statement, someone with a firm uh, grasp of the obvious, but it's noteworthy that the, the passage that we just heard uh, the, from the letter from the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was the, uh, the original pastor of that church. And his preaching, uh, through his preaching, that little church in that city came to be. And he wrote a letter back to that church, a letter called the letter to the First Corinthians, which we just heard. And in the portion that we just read, the Apostle Paul tells this church, I want to remind you. I want to remind you about the things that are really, really important, so you don't forget. And if they needed to be reminded, I suppose you and I can stand to be reminded as well. So let's turn there. It's printed for you in your service leaflet, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Maybe you brought a Bible with you, and you can turn there. It's in the, really the final eighth of your uh, a Bible. In verse 3, the author we, uh, the author, who is the Apostle Paul, a well, little, little uh, background information. He spent, the Apostle Paul spent about three years in the city of Corinth. And over those three years, preached innumerable sermons, hundreds of sermons, if not thousands of sermons, covering a wide variety of subjects. And here, in 30 brief words, just 30 brief words, he summarizes everything that he has told them. All of his preaching ministry summarized into 30 brief words. And here they are. Christ died for our sins. This in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day. This in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to many. Now just a few quick comments. You hear a little bit of a rhythm to that, don't you? And that Christ appeared. And that he was buried. Most churches, or many churches, have creeds as part of their worship service. Our tradition does. Following this sermon, we'll stand and affirm our faith in a 
by way of a creed. A creed simply stands for a credo, I believe, and this uh, a summary of Christian faith and belief. It's thought because this is a very uh, rhythmic statement and that Christ died and that Christ was buried, that this was some early formulation of a Christian creed, a, a creed that summarized the things that were most important, the things that were most beautiful, the things that were most necessary for Christian faith. And we'll note just very quickly that there are two events that are our most important, of first importance, and they are the death of Jesus Christ, this was in accordance with scriptures, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day, this as well in accordance with scriptures. Both of these events are further confirmed by an additional event. Did you note that? That Jesus died for our sins and the confirmation, he was buried. He didn't bury himself, somebody buried him. And that he was raised, and the confirmation is he appeared. He appeared to many. So there we have it. An early creedal statement which summarized what was most essential, most compelling, most important. And this little creed tells us that Easter is important for a couple of reasons. Easter is very important, number one, because it happened. Number two, Easter is really, really important because what happened was really, really big. And number three, Easter is really, really important because this really, really big thing that happened can have a really, really big impact on you. So those will be three uh, points that we consider this morning. First, that Easter is important because it happened. Second, what happened was really, really big. And this really big thing that happened can have a really big impact on you. So, first point, it really happened. Now, on first blush of this 30-word statement, what strikes me, Christ died, Christ was risen, Christ appeared, what strikes me is not only its brevity, but it's very matter-of-fact, isn't it? It's almost like it's a statement of historical fact which you can accept or discard. Notice just the lack of emotional appeal. Right? The, the, the author is not saying, look, you too can know Christ. You too can know God. You can feel his presence. You can have some sort of emotional connection. Now, I think that's true. But you'll simply note that that is not of first importance. Also, note there's no real moral instruction. There's no, there's no pattern of behavior that's addressed. And from what we know of the city of Corinth and the church that was in the city of Corinth, it was kind of a moral mess. And so there was some low-hanging fruit that this author could have said, now listen, you guys just need to shape up and fly right a little bit. But notice there's no moral instruction. I think moral instruction is part of the Christian faith, obviously. But you'll note it's simply not of first importance. What is of first importance is... Uh, uh, an event that is recorded for us and presented to you simply as fact. You note how there's so many references to eyewitnesses. First he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is another name for Peter, uh, the first disciples. He appeared to Peter, and then to James, and then to 500 others. Witnesses that were named, presumably so that they could verify what was just said. 
that Jesus rose from the grave. Easter, the resurrection, is presented as something that really, really happened. And this thing that really happened is the foundation. It is of first importance, the foundation upon which the entire Christian faith is built. Now, my house is undergoing major construction right now. It is an absolute, I even have do not enter zones, danger around my own backyard, which makes it very hard for the children to play. They just have to go around the signs now. The, my house sits on what is called marine clay or expansive soil. It's a little bit of a boogeyman around here, and expansive soil, as the name suggests, expands. It expands with moisture, it shrinks when it's dry. And because our house sits on a hill, it has caused our house to settle and to shift and to move. And our house is, uh, we can't, op eventually it got so bad we couldn't open doors, our ceiling was cracking, there's all sorts of evidence that we were slowly sliding down the hill. The remedy for this is absolutely astounding, absolutely impressive, because what is going on right now is that they are drilling piers. What is called helical piers is a fancy name. It's just a picture of a house on a beachfront. They're drilling these piers deep down below the foundation of my house, about 30, sometimes even 40 feet deep, down past this what's called, again, marine clay or expansive soil. They're drilling past that into the bedrock that sits underneath it. And eventually, sooner, hopefully, rather than later, my house will be set on these piers. And those piers will be set on the foundation. Now, the discerning listener can probably guess the direction of this illustration. Without those piers, without a solid foundation, the house simply will fall apart. Christian faith is built on a solid foundation. It is not built upon an emotional experience, regardless of how important emotions are. Uh, Christian faith is not built upon your moral behavior or our moral behavior, as important as that is. Christian faith is not a philosophical idea. At the foundation of Christian faith, there is a fact that either did or did not happen. And if you take it away, the whole thing crumbles like a house of cards. It's easy for us who have become so familiar with this phrase, he rose again from the grave, for it to sort of take on a whimsical nature, almost a fairy tale, as if it happened long ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, that is not how this is being presented to you. It's presented to you as something that actually really occurred. And so that is our first observation of why Easter is important, because it really happened. Secondly, Easter is important because this thing that really happened was really, really big. Again, familiarity may have dulled the impact of these words, that he rose from the grave. A brief refresher for us so we can again appreciate how big that statement is. To do so, we need a quick and depressing reminder from the world of science. Recently, I read Bill Bryson's A Short History of Everything, in which he catalogs some interesting scientific discoveries. One of those scientific discoveries made at the turn of the century was the laws of thermodynamics. So back up to high school, and think of high school physics, laws of thermodynamics. 
And the three laws of thermodynamics, I'll only mention two because the third one still confuses me, but the first one says this, that we can neither create, we cannot create energy. It's impossible. You, don't, you never create energy. You just, it just transfers. It just changes. So you take oil. Oil has energy contained within it. You burn it. That energy, you've not created anything. You've just transferred. And that heat from that flame is now transferred out into the atmosphere. Again, nothing is created. It's only transferred. Second law states that energy will never be transferred perfectly. It's always, diff always diffused, always something lost. So as uh, heat is dispersed out into the, the, the vast uh, beyonds of the universe, right? There's never a perfect in exchange of energy. Something is always lost. In other words, you can't have a perpetual motion machine. You always lose something. Now, scientists have humorously, as, well, using academic humor, have summarized these laws according to the following. Scientists have said, you are born into a game. There are certain rules about this game. Number one rule is this, you can't win it. You can never create energy. Number two rule, you can't even break even. Energy will always be lost. Number three rule, you can't get out either. You can't win it, you can't get out of it, you can't break even, and you can't even get out of the game. Those are the three rules that govern everything that you see, that you taste, that you touch, everything. A cup of coffee in your hand, it's going to go cold. The brightest burning star, it's going to go cold. It's going to wind down. Drop an egg, you get a mess. Drop a mess, you never get an egg. Yeah? Everything. You're winding down. I'm winding down. At age 40, I know some of you to age 40 sounds like a, a very young age. For some of you it sounds very old. At age 40, almost on, on my birthday, I picked up these reading glasses. The official diagnosis of this ailment is called presbyopia. Now, if there's any Greek scholars, you'll know what that means. Presbyter, presber, presba means elder. It's where you get Presbyterian and elder. Elder, opia, eyes. Here's my scientific diagnosis of what's wrong with me. I have old eyes. And you may not have old eyes now, but you will. And what's happening to my eyes is going to happen to every single atom in my body. And the same thing true for you. And just like that cup of coffee that you drank this morning will eventually go cold and run out of energy, so is the same for you. And these are the laws that govern everything. They are universable, and they are unbreakable, and they have never been broken Save once. On Easter morning, Jesus reversed the irreversible. Jesus was born to a new and risen life. It's really not helpful to say that Jesus is alive, although that is certainly true. Jesus is alive makes it sound like he's back. 
Jesus is not alive. Jesus is risen. He has a new life, a new life that no longer plays by the old rules, a new life that's never going to be touched by these laws of thermodynamics. It's never going to wind down as the whole universe, like a great top, is winding down and slowing down and going cold. Not so with Jesus. He is a new perpetual energy machine, and death and decay and, uh, is never going to touch him. He is a new life. He's not just alive. He is risen. Take a moment and, and just consider how big an event it was that we celebrate when we say that Jesus is not just alive, he is risen to a new life. What happened, not only, Easter is important not only because it happened, because, but also because what happened was so very, very big. The laws of death and deterioration, which govern everything, were broken on Easter morning, and they remain broken. Finally, this really, really big thing that really happened can have a really big impact on you. Now, we've been considering that second half of this verse that Jesus was raised and Jesus did appear. Let's just back up a little bit and consider that first phrase, that Christ died for our sins. The death of Jesus had a purpose. He said of it himself, he said that, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. His death paid for a debt that was not his, but ours. He received a punishment that we deserve. He died for our sins. Now, I stumbled upon this story. I don't know if it's true, but I hope it is. Many years ago, there was an archbishop of Paris. And on Easter morning, he preached to a full cathedral and he told that congregation during his sermon of two footloose, fancy-free, footloose and fancy-free men without a thought of God, without a care in the world, who were out in the city and just for kicks and giggles stopped by the local church, perhaps to poke a little fun, make fun of all the pietistic practices within that little church. One said to the other, how much will you give me? If I go make a confession, a bogus confession, in front, of, uh, in front of the parish priest, they worked out some amount, and so he went into the booth. Well, the parish priest became aware of this ruse, and after the pretender made his confession, the parish priest said, look, every confession has a penance, so here's your penance. You just go in front of that crucifix, at the front of the church, and all you have to say is, all this you did for me, and I just don't care. Well, the, uh, the person in the booth came out and went to his friend to collect his prize. And the friend said, no, 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 first do your penance, and then you can get the prize. And so the person made that journey down to the front of the church, he slowly walked to the crucifix, looked up at Jesus, who's called the man of sorrows, saw him wearing that crown of thorns, and he said, all this you did for me, and he paused. He couldn't, could not go any further. And tears filled his eyes, and 
sorrow filled his heart, and an old life, his old life stopped. And a new, a new life began at that very moment. The archbishop finished his story. He said, you may wonder what happened to that young man. He said, well, I am that young man. That young man was me. Like that young man, we too can look at Jesus, the man of sorrows, and say, all this you did for me. He died for our sins, for your sins. Finally, the new risen life which he achieved on Easter morning is available to you and me as well. That new risen life that does not play according to the old rules, that new and risen life which will never run down, never grow old, never tire, never taste death, this new life is available to you and to me as we come to him in faith. And that is a new life that can begin now and a new life that will continue on through eternity as our earthly life winds down. He died in our place for our sins. And in his rising to life, he restores us who place our faith in him to everlasting life. Easter is really important. It is really important because it really happened. And this thing that really happened was really big. And this really big thing that really happened can have a really big impact on you. Now I know that faith does not fall into place easily for any one of us. The first disciples... Mary, who we read about in our gospel, didn't recognize Christ as he was first appeared. Many of the disciples did not. But what I want us to see is these first people grappled with the evidence, grappled with what they heard, grappled with what they saw. And as they considered the evidence, they became absolutely convinced of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of the profundity of that event and its personal impact on them. And believing placed their trust in him. That's what they did. And that's what men and women still do. Even now. So let's close by remembering these things that are of first importance, of foundational importance, that Christ died for our sins, this in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and he appeared to many. Some of us may need to be reminded of just how magnificent, how impactful these words are. Some of us may need to consider the importance of these words for the first time. Some of us, having considered the importance of these words, may need to confess our faith in them, and having done so, commit to follow Jesus. So again, let's take a moment and quietly consider these things of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared.